0: Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available on my website and on Amazon. In fact, it's a number one new release and a bestseller on Amazon. I'm really excited about this new book because it's not actually a book. It's a guided journal for leaders that will take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you'll reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those skills. So if you're interested in this guided journal, go to youhavethewatch.com or Amazon and pick up your copy today. If you're looking for other ways to support what I do on this show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com. And podcast listeners can always use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. Also, I just wanted to mention that Deep Leadership is now ranked in the top 2.5% most popular shows out of 2.9 million podcasts globally, according to Listen Score. And I just wanted to thank each of you every week for tuning in and listening and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Well, that is it. We're going to talk about something different today. We're going to talk about resilient leadership. My guest is Mike Watson. He's the author of a new book called Rise Up, Leadership Habits for Turbulent Times. Mike helps us understand what we need to do as leaders to create a more resilient organization. Now, this is a very timely topic, and I was fascinated with this discussion, and I know you will as well. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mike Watson. Mike is the founder and president of Ignite Management, a strategic planning and leadership development company based in Vancouver, British Columbia. He is the co-author of a new book called Rise Up, Leadership Habits for Turbulent Times. Now in this book, Mike and his co-author, Ali Grovey, reveal methods for managers to become an influential force in helping employees deal with the challenges of today's workplace. And this is such an important topic, and I'm honored to have Mike on the show today. So Mike, welcome.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, John. What a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm honored to have you on the show. I'm excited to talk about this topic. Um, But before we dive into the book and what you guys are writing about, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, so you started uh, Ignite Management back in 2007. Tell us how you came into the world of leadership development and strategic planning.
1: Yeah. So, John, I'd come from a career in banking and I'd spent uh, 15 years in banking. It was an interesting uh, paradigm because I was quite good at something that I wasn't motivated to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I continue to rise up the ranks and, you know, and I just felt the shackles getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And it was starting to impact my life in, in a lot of ways that weren't particularly healthy. I finally escaped in 07. I use the term escaped. <laughs> um, and I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew this wasn't healthy. And because it had gone reasonably well, I had a bit of a nest egg so uh, we could do that with our kids in, in high school and just went out there to say, well, what's next? It really was that blank slate of what's next. The, role, my, the last role that I'd had in financial services was chief operating officer, where it was all about transforming an enterprise. Uh, and, and the, the culture, the brand, the operational business model from transactional to interaction and value based and uh, uh, segmenting the customers. there's a lot that went into that and I loved that part of the banking. you know once it was done it wasn't so fun again it's back to the shackles. but uh, the strategy and implementation of strategy, that's where I really got a love for it. The thing that I didn't know, is uh, when you are part of a large corporate enterprise, you think you've got a strong personal brand, uh, but what you actually have is the brand of your employer. Mm, so I went out assuming that as a, an entrepreneur starting out hanging a shingle it would always be as good as easy as uh, you know as as it always had been. Well, I, I, I at the as a banker you look at entrepreneurs and you know you can tell them a whole bunch of stuff of what they should be doing differently until you actually step into it. good gosh. <laughs> yeah. What an experience uh, what an experience that was. So it was uh, we started in 07 and it just built gradually and the focus was always on uh, strategy helping organizations build strategy. And we have an adage we refer to as strategy from within. And what that is, what, what that's predicated on is the belief that the people we work with will always know their business better than we could know it. Hmm. Like, John, there's no way I'm going to go into your manufacturing entity and say, I know it better than you know it. You, Your team, you and your team have a deep, deep knowledge of your business. Our job is to draw it out of you. Our job is to enable people to really share their insights, to come up with something compelling that they're all going to rally behind, and everyone's going to have clarity of where they're going and how they're going to get there, and then away they go. So the strategy from within component was really critical, and it really took hold. So we're now serving a number of clients with this strategy from within construct, and they say, well, could you stay and help us bring it to life? And as we stayed to help them bring it to life, we found okay, there's where the rub point is. That's that execution. Famous line uh, Vision is easy, strategy a little tougher. Execution differentiates the winners from the losers. That's where we started to see the gaps. And the gaps invariably came down to leadership. It wasn't what they were doing was wrong, it's how they were doing it through leaders that needed to change. So we start diving into this. So this is about 10 years ago. We really started to dive into the constructs of leadership that were hindering the progress. So we're sort of a living lab of the academic literature that's out there. And so what is it that's not working and how might it change? And there was probably one finding that was the most profound of all of this. And it was the mindset of the leaders that we worked with. And the mindset of the leaders that we worked with, and, and I fell into the same trap in, in my 30s as I was doing this banking gig. Uh, they got into these roles thinking that the job title was synonymous with leadership, mm. and it's not. Leadership is something to be referred to as a leader. You earn that. Mm. You, you, the job title doesn't give you the, the the respect that a leader gets. They're two different things. You have authority. You have the ability to allocate capital here and there. You have some decision-making that you have to do. But what we found is so many leaders thought that's what leadership was. And I refer to it as a chess game. They thought leadership was a chess game. And you move the pieces around and uh, everything's going to work. Well, it isn't because a company is never more than the aggregate of the people striving together to create something. And leaders needed to change their mindset so that we start going deeper and deeper. So the first is this mindset of what is a leader? And the the mindset of the leader is I have one job as a leader. I have another job under my job description. But as a leader, my job is to enable people individually and collectively to be the best versions of themselves in pursuit of something noble. Hmm. And so individually and collect, enabling people individually and collectively to be the best of themselves in pursuit of something noble. So that mindset shift, it was, it was a mind blow for some people because they have to change the way they do business. Now they have to think about the people that are around them and how can I elevate John from where he is today to this better version of John? Now, I can't do it for him. I can only create the conditions around him to enable that. So we start looking at this mindset piece. And once you get the mindset piece, okay, I've got all these habits that I've formed over years that have been deeply ingrained in me. I tell you what to do. I have the authority. I expect the respect. And we had to change that paradigm and that's where the habits came to life. Mm-hmm. What might we do differently in our leadership style that's going to have create followership? So we we, we went through this academic exercise uh, and then test and learn with the people that we serve to see is, you know, is, is trust. How important is trust? We hear a lot about humility. Well, what is humility? Is that that modesty that says, no, they they've got it. Or is it something different? So we created a series of hypotheses around these habits that uh, people should embrace. And then we test and learn, test and learn. And we then contacted a number of the uh, great leaders that we'd had the opportunity to interact with over the years. And we interviewed them. So we did countless hours of interviews. Uh, But we're talking about behavioral change. And behavioral change is the study of psychology and neuroscience these deeply ingrained habits how do you change them so we engaged a clinical counselor to go through every single word on the page to say that that what we were writing was consistent with the practice of psychology and counseling that this would actually help people change their perspective and change their behaviors or, or their habits We went the next step into a team of industrial psychologists to say, okay, you've done, you've seen all the Myers-Briggs type studies that are out there and the assessments. Do these habits that we talk about fit into that? The original Hexaco model that they talked the traits of, transformational versus transactional leaders. And so we got the validation on that level. And then we weaved it all into the story. And that's what the book is. It's a series of stories that talk first about why does it matter? It matters because you gotta change your mindset. Well, how do you change your mindset? First, you need the willingness to change and then you need the motivation to change. And those are deep topics, a whole podcast on motivation to change. Um, And then what habits could you or should you or might you work on? And that's the balance of the book is, uh, is those habits. So that's how we got into leadership. Strategy was failing. It was a function of bad leadership. Leadership needed to change. How might we influence that?
0: You know, it's really good to hear what you say because, um, you know, when I first was researching your company, you know, you do two things, strategic planning and leadership development. And You're one of the first people I've talked to that has connected these two dots, which is you know, leadership is all about getting people to get you know to, to to motivate people to get something done. There's three things: it's people, it's motivation, and it's a goal, right? And I think what you're saying is that you've got to make sure you have the right strategy, right? But then you also have to make sure that you have the right uh, you know team in place to be able to execute that strategy. And that's what leadership. That's where leadership comes in. So it's it's a twofold part of that equation. And I think you know I always say that you know if you if you make a plan, right? If it takes you. Uh, you know whatever time it takes you to make a plan, you should take twice that amount of plan or that amount of time to make sure that you can implement it that you get people up to speed that they can you know they know what their role is in that in that plan. and I think you're you're saying those things. it's the two things. it's the strategy, but it's also how do you lead that execution. I think that's really important. so so that's your specialty as a company. that's where you kind of come in and help uh, you know, get clarity in, in companies that are struggling to, you know, get everybody aligned towards what their strategic goals are. Is that
1: generally what where, where you find it? That is, that is precisely, precisely what we do, John. Okay.
0: Excellent. That's really good. I like that connect, uh, the, how that's connected. Um, now you've got a book out and this is exciting. It's called, uh, rise up leadership habits for turbulent times. We talked a little bit about it already. Um, What's what is happening in the workplace right now? And why would you call these turbulent times? Because I really (laughs) like the title. But uh, and I do feel like we're turbulent uh, from a from a naval officer perspective. It seems like the seas are a little rough. But uh, tell us what what what's turbulent about today?
1: Yeah, great question. And, you know, I was chatting with somebody yesterday who who asked another great question. He said, is it really turbulent today? Yeah. You know, isn't, aren't we, haven't we been talking about the need for change and the turbulence and this crazy landscape around us for the last 25 years or as long as any of us have been in business? And uh, how, do you, how do you debate that point? Because That'd there's be always great. been levels of turbulence. And, John, we started this book before COVID uh, oh, wow. was hitting us. And we were looking at the technological factors and the speed of change in technology, the speed of change in healthcare, the ability for machines to do what humans could do and the identification that's coming from that, like real-time data analytics and the blockchain technologies and and the the massive impact of of those things on the workforce and and how that's going to change. And what we started to see is that the human only traits in the workforce are going to become the most important ones mm. driven by primarily technological change. Cause we've been in a reasonably long period of global globalization and comfort and confidence in the supply chains that had been established through globalization. So we hadn't even pondered that when we started writing the book. Uh, but then of course, we're, we're getting near the conclusion of, of, of writing this book and COVID hits, huh. and it hits with a vengeance. Well, I mean that is turbulence at the highest level, and it the especially the way it impacts people. So turbulence number one, COVID, and and we refer to the wear down factors of COVID, and the wear down the psychological impacts of COVID on us and on our people. Mm-hmm. So if you look at society, there was a midpoint, a mean of of, of resilience within society. And then you look at the psychological impacts of COVID, which created isolation. Mm. And isolation yeah. for human beings, we require levels of integration. And as we're forced into isolation, we get disintegration. Mm. And, and of course, what is the word disintegration? You see where it goes if left untethered. So the, the, this turmoil of isolation that has created for people uh, a real challenge on, on the integration front. So they're, they're psychologically challenged. And, and it's important to understand the neuroscience of that because what happens when we become disintegrated is we get, we're get we more prone to jump into the, the amygdala functioning, the fight-flight-freeze-or-faint mm-hmm. which takes away from the cognitive functioning. So if I'm a leader and I've sat around the table with my people for months, years, in many cases, and we've had these great intellectual conversations, now I'm sitting around a table with people whose cognitive functioning is impaired. Now, it doesn't mean it's, it's terrible. It just means it's not where it once was. Right. So that's just COVID, and there are many other psychological factors from COVID the, the health and well-being, the fear that it's created, the uncertainty that it's created, the separation from loved ones, and in many cases, different uh, points of view on is it you know should we should we batten down the hatches and and protect everybody and stay clear, or should we just go forth and let this thing run its course? That created great divisiveness in our society. Oh yeah, yeah. So you've got all of this bubbling around us. And then you've got the war in the Ukraine. So this safety that we had felt for years and years and years is now being threatened in a very real way. And so we're thinking, where does it go from here? Europe is, is not a far flight from where you are in North Carolina. So this is, this is getting awful close to home. So we're starting to think about that and it pervades our, it's now in our thoughts. And again, it's it's this fight, flight, freeze or faint versus high cognitive functioning, executive reasoning, executive functioning. So that's another level of turbulence. Then you see the the impacts uh, on globalization, the supply chain, and the the tension with China, uh, which is we haven't seen in, in at this level for a long period of time. And so you got grain that can't get shipped as of a couple of days ago, they say it's going to get shipped, but the trade flows are massively, massively altered. So people can't get their goods on time. Manufacturers are struggling to get their parts. The auto industry can't get the chips that come out of China because China's been on lockdown. So another level of turbulence that's now heavily impacting our business. So as all this is going on, we're dumping money into the economy to just keep people eating and in their homes. So it was probably the right thing to do for a period of time, but you can't, you get in economic policy, we can't just keep dumping money in and not expect some inflationary result. Mm. Like economics 101 is gonna tell you that you're gonna eventually see some inflation and we're seeing it in spades and it's right across North America and it's global. This inflationary pressure. So now you've got people under COVID stress, under the stress of the war in the Ukraine, and now the price of their groceries has gone from here to here, like it's jumped up, which is it further created the stress in our environment. Yeah, these are turbulent times. These are highly, highly turbulent times. It's a great futurist, uh, Gert Leonard. I think he's a Norwegian gentleman. And he talks about the pace of change today as being the slowest pace of change that we will experience for the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that. So we got all this change coming at us. And somebody then says to us, oh, and by the way, you know, you better get, get up to speed with this because tomorrow is going to move quicker than today. Right, right. I'm already exhausted. I'm already exhausted. So, this brings us back to leadership. It's the full circle. Leaders must think about it differently than they did in the past because our people need it. They need us more than they ever have before. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This
0: episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities.
1: Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer and emotional intelligence coach and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast.
0: You say this, and this is kind of interesting in the book, you say that um, that oftentimes the habits of managers actually diminish the resilience of the organization. What do you mean by that? Sometimes we, as
1: managers, we can actually make it our organization less resilient. Yeah, well, I mean, you think of the command and control mindset. Um, my habit is I tell people what to do. I thought that was the right way to do business. I, right. I believed I was helping them by telling them what to do. I was making their lives easier. And in, in, in the short term, I probably was. But by telling them what to do, they're coming to me for the answer. They're not figuring out how to problem solve on their own.
0: Right. Habitually,
1: I tell people what to do. Habitually, they look for someone else to tell them what to do. Mm. The organizations in times of turbulence, when you don't know what's going to come at you tomorrow or later today, you got to be able to think through what's coming at me, process it, and identify the right path forward. So the old habits that they worked quite well, as you know, especially as we got into the era of, of six segment. It's all about efficiencies, manufacturing efficiencies, and cutting out the waste. In those times, it, it worked quite well the habits we form then are not working today and i think ge I, i'm probably stretching with the the storyline but i think some would point to ge and say that's one of the parts of their demise is that that they haven't changed with the times right right so there are other habits you know think of the leaders you've met with over the years whether it's in the military or the manufacturing and you see the habits that they form over time that are quite acceptable some people being boisterous and and uh, and 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 allowing anger to come out—that was quite acceptable in corporate boardrooms for years and years and years. To allow mm-hmm. your anger to emerge and you dumbass you know and going at people—and that's how we communicated. Well, that habit is one that can have not everyone, but some people shrink into a corner where they absolutely shut down. Well, in times of turmoil, and you, you, whether it's, it's in, in, in a military operation, in a sporting operation, or in a business operation, we need everyone to be at their highest level of cognitive functioning to process. And if, if we have this habit of showing anger and they shut down, we've lost them, yeah. we've lost them. So that's why habits can, can, the wrong habits can have huge negative impacts on resilience.
0: I like that. I, I was just thinking of my, as you were telling the story, I was thinking like, like as a parent with a child, if you always do things for them, they never learn it on their own, like tie their shoes or whatever you might be as they're growing up. But as you say, no, keep trying, you you figured out like riding a bike or tying a shoe, whatever, they build resilience because they figure out how to do it. And once they figure out that, then they can figure out another thing they can figure out another thing. So as you give them the opportunity to solve their own problems, they become more resilient. They can handle what comes next, which we can't predict. What's going to come next in these turbulent times? So we make our employees more resilient as we allow them to 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 learn how to deal with the problems on their own and 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 problem solve. Yeah, absolutely, John.
1: I I'm smiling from ear to <laughs> ear because if we just thought a little bit about parenting and how we work with people, yeah, okay? like as a parent, what's one absolute you believe in your child?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What's another absolute? You support your child. Yeah. And what's a third absolute? You love your child. So yeah. I believe in them. I support them. I love them. We did some work with uh, the fellow that led the Canadian soccer team to the uh, through CONCACAF to the, the their run for the Gold Cup, and he'd interviewed a bunch of Olympic athletes before he took the job, and uh, to say, what did your coach bring you that allowed you to achieve the success you achieved? And he boiled down the responses into three things. They believed in me. They supported me. They loved me. Mm, yeah. And, you know, so we talk about coaching and, but you get into a corporate boardroom and nobody wants to use the word love. We use the word, we, we might say I care, but to say I love you is really, really hard. But at the highest order, Olympic athletes, podium athletes, what did they get from their coach? Belief support, and love. And it wasn't always with kid gloves. I mean, this yeah, can be some pretty yeah. tough conversations back to our kids. We mm-hmm. have tough conversations with our kids about their behavior, but they would never doubt those three three things about, how, about us and how we feel about them. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's great. I love that. I love that analogy because I think it really paints the picture of what true good leadership looks like. It's almost like that parent that, you know, I love you, I support you, and, you know, I'm going to guide you towards you know where, where wherever it might be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And because you take it down, and, and I talked about the definition of leadership right up the t- the front end. That what do you want from your kids to be the best versions of themselves? Yeah, yeah. Wherever they started, whatever are the DNA we've gifted them with, we want them to build on that to be the best versions of themselves. Yeah, and that's what we want for our children. Well, why wouldn't we want that for everyone in the spheres? our spheres of influence that we want them to be the best versions of themselves. Uh, There's a guy, I don't know if you're, if you're uh, a basketball fan, but it was Doc Rivers at the Celtics. He Mm -hmm. really embraced this construct of Ubuntu, Uh, Ubuntu. And I I think Phil Jackson really started it in uh, in basketball. But the concept is this, a person is a person through other people. Mm -hmm. And and John, the message is, I can't be whole unless you're whole. And so if I embrace Ubuntu, then I have to be looking at our success, not my success. And in, in, we, we use Ubuntu in our office here to say, are you practicing Ubuntu? Are you living Ubuntu? Because if, if one person starts to you know go out there on, the, on, on their own and, and the maverick doing their thing, um, to the detriment of others, that's not living Ubuntu. And yeah. now the, the team is so critically important that's our support. So i, I don't know how I got down that path but uh, this support and love and caring for one another and this practice yeah. of Ubuntu that is leadership. It's about people. It's all yeah. about people. Yeah. Well, that's great. Cause like in my books, I write leadership as a people business. So I <laughs> we think that. we're on
0: the same page.
1: <laughs> I thought you might've agreed with that. One. <laughs> um,
0: you know, in the book, you present these six uh, uh, distinct, uh, but yet they're deeply uh, interconnected habits that all leaders really need to adopt if they want to really, you know, be that influence during these tough times. Um, you know, what are those six and why are they so important right now?
1: Yeah, uh, the first one and that stands above all else is you must build trust. Hmm. As a leader, your people must trust you. They must trust that you have their best interest at heart. And it's not just the corporate result, that you actually care about them. And they're driving forces of trust. You know, if I looked at you, John, and I said, you know, I, I, I don't really trust you. Uh, you'd be really deeply hurt and offended. And you'd say, well, what have I ever done to hurt you? Because we we have this, this big sort of emotion around the word trust. But if you break it away from this emotional word and say, well, what creates trust? I show evidence that I care for you. And you can see that. Or I can see that in you, that you care about me as a person. Trust comes from consistency, especially in the workplace. I trust that this is going to get done. You know, you said you're going to do it on time and, and it didn't come. So the next time would I give you the same task, What what's my expectation? The trust is eroded. Right. Uh, character is, is such a huge one. And that's integrity. Uh, people that, that have character uh, challenges. And, and look, everyone loses their way on occasion. But the, those principles, those guiding principles and values to hold on to those because a breach of those um, is, is so huge. I actually chatted with a guy who, who read, uh, rise up and he's, he's quite a, a well-known uh, person who had one of these very classic falls from grace. Um, and, and he didn't understand why people turned on him. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, I look at what I did and I accept that it was wrong, but I look at, you know, so many other people that had done things worse. And why was I singled out for this? And why did my own people, um, push me away. he said, I finally understand it because I portrayed myself to be a person of a certain character. And then they saw that that was a lie. Mm, yeah. The trust was gone forever. He said, Mike, thank you for taking the monkey off my back because at least now I understand it. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was my doing to show myself as one character and, and then to have that diminish. And, and, the, and the next one is uh, competence, you know, especially in the business world. If yeah. you're not good at what you do, John, if your podcast isn't very good, people aren't going to trust you to go on your show. Right? It right. happens yeah. that you're really, really good at it. You're you're beyond competent. You're excellent at it, so people want to go on your show. Oh, John Rennie's calling me. Of course, I want to go on his show. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Why the heck wouldn't I? So trust is absolutely the top one, uh, and building that trust. The second one is humility, and I alluded to it earlier. Uh, we we really call out with leaders, humility isn't modesty. To be truly humble, you have to be deeply confident in who you are and what you bring to the table. It's active humility is recognizing that your job is to make other people better and you cannot succeed alone. This is where Ubuntu comes in. Humility is about working with people to help them be their best. And as a leader, when you say, what am I going to work on today? It's, How am I going to help my people today be better at what they do and be better? That's active humility. So it's not, oh, no, they did all the work. That's fake, false modesty. I played a significant role in it. I helped them, this, that, and the other thing. But my actions were always about how can I help? The servant leader, the servitude. Critically, critically important. The third one is inquisitiveness. And inquisitiveness—it's it, it—it it would be defined as active curiosity. Mm. You know, many children are curious; they want to know about this. Inquisitiveness is the action of curiosity, and it has two huge impacts. One, to the old school leader that I have to be right and I have to be smart, and the habits of uh, inquisitiveness as I learn more perspectives, my decisions are actually going to be better so the business is better and diversity at the at the table at the boardroom table huge diversity of thought so right, so right. important and psychological safety that comes with it so uh, inquisitiveness leads to better decisions but the other thing it does is it says to the people you work with my voice matters yeah exactly i matter yeah. yep. i matter and that that being asked for your opinion when you're sitting at your desk or in your, the plant doing your job and somebody says, Hey, how would you do this?
0: Mm. I'm
1: I've just been respected for what I know. I right. walk a little right. bit taller. John, you know, tell me, John, about manufacturing and how that leads into, oh man, this guy actually wants to hear what I have. Right, to say. exactly. Hey. Okay? And so inquisitiveness bolsters the people around us it makes them stronger so those first three are about the outward facing that's how we interact with people the next three are more inside this is who we are as people and the first one is optimism uh, you've mentioned to me some time ago there earlier today that uh, good to great is one of your favorite books yeah, and yeah. jim collins and he talked about the stockdale paradox and yeah. optimism Okay. Yeah. And it's it's not about blind faith by any stretch of the imagination. Optimism is an acceptance of the realities of where we are at today. These are very, very difficult times. You've got war in the Ukraine. We've got COVID. We have climate crisis. We have changing trade flows. And you know what, gang? If we all sit around this table and bring our best, we will succeed.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's that. And then it allows for perspectives to be shared in conflict uh, to um, to to get to the best answer. The final two, I'll go quickly. You got to have the courage to make the tough call. Yeah, yeah. In the end, you got, and our gut speaks to us. Yeah. And if we're not listening to our gut, we're failing. And yeah. So I'll simplify that trust your gut because it tells you stuff all the time, and it's so important. Time. And the final one is discipline. Discipline has two ends to it. One is self-discipline. Uh, I lived a big part of my life, John, without a lot of self-discipline. And, and I look back on that and said, I was not the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. Self-discipline is nutrition, it's exercise, it's sleep yep. uh, and, and, and moderation. And if, if you don't have discipline, you are not bringing your best to the people that you want to make their best. So you're failing, quite frankly. So self-discipline is absolutely critical. And the other component of discipline, which is more outward facing is, I expect you to do what you said you would do. Yeah. Accountability frameworks work, yep. they matter. You've got to hold people accountable. We choose to hold people accountable and you've got to create a disciplined environment. We, we did what we said we would do in yep. very simple terms.
0: I'm really glad you hit on discipline and especially the the idea of self discipline. And I think it's a big part of it. I think you have to be, you have to be strong for, for your team, and the only way you're strong is to by by investing in yourself. You know, yeah. you know, emotionally, intellectually, physically, you want to be you got to be ready to be able to handle the tough times for your team. So, and I think if you're a mess yourself, you're never never going to be able to handle the tough times. So, I think I think leading yourself first is a big element of leadership. And I'm glad you touched on that in the book because I think it's a big part of it, and I don't think we talk about it enough. So, I think it's uh, it's it's important that you touch on that.
1: Yeah, as well. John, it's yeah. a tough it's a tough. One. Though hey, like really when you're working with somebody and, and you think of your friends or you think of your colleagues and and you know they're not disciplined, yeah. That's yeah. a real touchy one to, to talk about. And yeah. we so what do we more normally do? We choose not to talk about it, right? Right. And our hope is that you know, through this book, it 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 creates a, a more transparency around it. I'm not assaulting your character, but I'm just saying I want you to be your best. Yeah. Yeah. And but, uh, you know, how do you bring that up with someone that uh, that yeah, yeah, your dis- your lack of discipline is uh, is making you less than than you could be? Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. you And you want it for you want them to be their best. So
1: you're doing and you want them to be out, their of, best. out of love right out of love (laughs) you're right into it you're like hundred percent so that's the answer is you you demonstrate you care you demonstrate the love you you demonstrate that you'll support and you have the courage to have the tough conversation
0: yeah i love this this is this is fantastic i think this is the book that needs to be written this needs to be read this is important right now especially during these turbulent times um mike how can people read find the book how can they read the book how can they get the book how can they find out about your company
1: yeah, well, thanks for asking. The book's available on all the major uh, online retailers. I mean, Amazon being the, uh, the obvious, Barnes and Noble, I believe, up in Canada, Indigo Chapters has it. So the online deliveries are generally not more than 48 hours away. Um, the uh, ignitemanagement.ca, uh, Ignite Management.ca, I G N I T E Management.ca. Uh, it has a little more detail and storyline of uh, what's in the book and you can order it through that uh, channel as well. The other thing you can do through ignitemanagement.ca is we've created the industrial psychologists we work with have created an assessment tool, uh, John, that goes along with this. And it, uh, it says, how am I performing against these habits and where do I send? I just did it. uh, I mean, we, we created this thing and it was all exciting to create. And then I, made the mistake of doing it. And oh, darn it. You know, now I'm looking in the <laughs> mirror again and I, I preach it all the time, but it says I got some work to do. I got yeah, some work to yeah. do to be what I choose to be. And uh, we got a ways to go. So uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and our Indigo and uh, IgniteManagement.ca.
0: Okay, great. And we're going to put links in the show notes for all of those resources. Well, this has been really a great discussion. And Mike, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of your insights. I think this is really good stuff. I mean, powerful. We just, you know, scratched the surface. So I really do encourage listeners to get out there, look at these resources, get this book. And if you want to be a better leader, especially during these times, this is the book you need. So Mike, thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of your insights.
1: Uh, John, what a pleasure. Real treat chatting with you. Thanks for your time.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. So no more movie quotes.
1: Roger, Roger. Electric
0: acid. Welcome, explorers of the human experience. This is Let's Talk Soul, and I'm your host, Claudia Monticelli. We're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here. Soul versus consciousness, we're on it. Spirituality versus science, we've got that covered, too. Join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom, curiosity, and a dash of audacity. Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's
1: Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.